Welcome, and thank you for listening to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. February is American Heart Month, and Texas Tech physicians cardiologist, Dr. Scott Shermer, is our guest for this episode. He is here to talk to us about what the heart does, heart disease, and other diseases that can affect our heart, and what we can do to improve our heart health. Dr. Shermer, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for coming on and talking to us about heart health. My pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do at the Health Sciences Center? Well, I'm a cardiologist by training, and I have an abiding interest in lipidology and preventive cardiology as well, things doing with cholesterol and how plaques form in the arteries in the first place. Came here eight years ago as the Division Chief of Cardiology, and for the last 18 months or so, I've served as the Chair of Internal Medicine, which is a little broader administrative position. Well, again, thank you for coming on our podcast uh, with apologies if I sound a little bit romantic, but what is the heart and what does it do? <laughs> well, the heart is, in its essence, a muscle which pumps blood to the rest of the body. From that blood are extracted nutrients and, most importantly, oxygen after it passes through the lungs. What diseases is the heart susceptible to developing? In the United States, most prominently, it's blockages of the coronary arteries. There are three small arteries which supply blood to the heart itself, so it needs its own blood supply. Those are prone to having plaques form within those arteries, and the most classical form of that, or the most familiar, is a heart attack in which one of those plaques ruptures, and a clot forms on top of that plaque rupture, fully blocking the artery and preventing blood flow to the heart muscle itself, the heart muscle begins to die, and a heart attack occurs. Who is at risk for developing heart disease? Most U.S. adults, to be blunt, our lifestyle and diet have not been particularly conducive to promoting heart health. That's changed a little bit. There's better public awareness. There's a little bit of a gravitation toward more health-promoting lifestyles in terms of exercise and diet. There are certain categories of individuals who are most prone to develop that sort of heart disease. Those who have diabetes are at a significantly increased risk of developing both coronary artery disease and other forms of heart disease. Those who smoke tobacco certainly drive up their risk as well. Those with high blood pressure can be susceptible both to the heart attack end of the spectrum, but also something called heart failure, which is an odd term. Heart failure would sound like the heart stops, that's it, it's over. That's not quite the case. It means the heart is beginning to fail. And in a general sense, it means that the heart no longer pumps as efficiently as it could or as it needs to for the person to feel as well as they could feel. So that's another group that certainly is at risk of heart disease. And frankly, some who are economically and socially challenged as well. They find a way to get calories to sustain themselves, but they're not often very nutritious. 
uh, and they often can promote diabetes and high blood pressure and lead to all of those things that ensue down the road. Is there a difference between male and females when it comes to heart disease? There is, particularly on the coronary artery disease spectrum, the heart attack pathway, if you will. Estrogen, in its naturally occurring form at least, appears to be protective against heart disease. For a long time, actually, we thought that this was coronary artery disease and heart attacks were a disease of men. That's partly because it was a very paternalistic society. Only men were in the medical field, or at least as physicians, uh, only men were included in medical studies. Uh, and that was part of that disturbed thinking. But coronary artery disease is certainly a disease of women, women as well, I should say, but because of the protective effect of estrogens naturally, there's just as much coronary artery disease in women as in men. There are as many heart attacks in women as in men. The difference is that women tend to be about 10 years older when they have their events than men do. Is heart disease always fatal and what can we do to prevent it? Certainly not always fatal. And we're better now at doing the acute things, the urgent things that could stop a heart attack and keep people alive. There are many, many, many people living who've suffered a, a heart attack. We do things in the cath lab, which is an area of the hospital where we take individuals where uh, we have x-ray capabilities, but, but more importantly, we have capabilities to run catheters, which are basically lo long, flexible, plastic-like tubes up into the body through which we can thread wires and balloons and stents to open those blocked arteries I referred to earlier. Uh, often this will save a life and improve the quality of life moving forward by limiting the infarct size. The most dramatic impact, though, even though it seems less dramatic, is to prevent that event in the first place by doing things we need to do to have that never occur. So during the pandemic, lots of people stopped going to the doctor for various reasons. What are some symptoms someone might have if they have heart disease? Well, I think the lack of exposure to the medical environment uh, has been an issue. And most prominently, there's an issue in not staying in step with the preventive maneuvers that need to be adhered to to prevent heart disease. If we don't go to the doctor, or even if we do telehealth, and telehealth certainly can be a substitute for a live doctor visit, but it's not the whole story, there is value in going to the doctor's office to have one's blood pressure checked. Now, that can be checked at home and reported, but one of the most important things that occurs in a medical environment is having laboratory values checked, knowing what your cholesterol is. And for everybody, knowing what your cholesterol is is important. And certainly there is importance in taking cholesterol-lowering medications, particularly the statin drugs, if they are prescribed. Back more specifically to your question, heart disease symptoms can be specific or nonspecific. Specific symptoms, the classic ones would be a suffocating pressure-like sensation, generally with activity, often in the middle of the chest, but it can be virtually anywhere above the waist. It can be in the left arm or jaw, but it can be in the right arm as well. And symptoms can be a little bit difficult to pin down. The older a person is when they have their heart disease, the less specific their symptoms are likely to be. It can simply be 
fatigue or nausea that a person would experience, particularly if they're over about 70 years of age. So a good history and being alert to the possibility of heart disease is certainly incumbent on both the individual but also the healthcare provider to pick things up if they might be occurring. Other symptoms would be just an inability to perform like you want to physically, be that exercise, be that walking distances, being simply getting through your day without being being excessively tired. Now, I know that's a very nonspecific thing, but it could theoretically be traced back to heart disease. Uh, inability to breathe when you lie down flat at night could suggest this heart failure issue I referred to earlier, and that would be due to some fluid backing up from the heart into the lungs, essentially. And when you lie down, that becomes more of an exaggerated phenomenon, and you feel like you're sort of suffocating or even drowning if you try to lie down flat to sleep. You mentioned cholesterol. Do you recommend a special diet like keto, vegetarian, or gluten-free to improve one's health? Good question. Uh, Obviously, named diets seem to come in cycles and be all the rage from time to time. They become their own uh, cults or nearly religions, it seems. But here's what I would say about diet. There are some abiding principles, I think. Keto, I think one needs to approach carefully. In its, in its most severe sense, keto can mean essentially eat all the protein you want, even if that comes with a lot of saturated fat and total fat and even salt. Avoid carbohydrates, particularly refined carbohydrates at all costs, can be how keto is interpreted. Keto is basically a slightly renamed and slightly altered version of the Atkins diet from years back. The Atkins diet got a bit of a bad rap when Dr. Atkins himself died of heart disease, and uh, and perhaps there were some other associated negative overtones with that as well. But I do believe, certainly, that eating higher amounts of protein is a very reasonable thing than we have classically been led to believe. But it should be lean, and it should not be accompanied with large amounts of sodium, or fat, certainly not saturated fat. You know, the classic vision of the Atkins diet was eat all the eggs and bacon you want, which is clearly a misstep. The bacon itself would have lots of nitrates in it, lots of fat, lots of sodium, and in fact, processed meats. Meats, sausages, cold cuts, bacon are among the worst things you can eat because they have all sorts of health implications both on the heart health front and the cancer front, frankly. Avoiding refined carbohydrates, avoiding sugar-sweetened drinks, such as high-fructose corn syrup in sodas, regular sodas, sweet tea is a terrible idea, frankly. Avoiding that, as well as avoiding large amounts of total and saturated fat are good dietary principles. Try to keep fruits and vegetables, your chief sources of carbohydrates. If you eat breads and pastas, try to eat true whole grain and allow yourself lean protein, certainly. I'm a big fan of low-fat or fat-free dairy products, yogurts, cottage cheeses, milks, cheese if it's lower in fat, and other lean sources of protein. Most fish, most poultry, it's hard to find uh, cuts of red meat without a lot of saturated fat in them. 
beef sirloin in some cases, very lean ground beef can be okay. Try not to add fat in cooking or other things that add uh, non-nutritional calories. My dad had a heart attack and my mother changed us all to a turkey diet. This was in the <laughs> early 90s. Turkey I'm, bacon, I do not recommend. Uh, well, you know, that's interesting. Um, it's lower fat than pork bacon, certainly. It's still processed to an extent. It still has lots of sodium. Uncured processed meats are probably better than cured, which uh, it simply means they're a little less processed. My wife is not a fan of turkey bacon. When we eat breakfast meat, I prefer turkey bacon as, the, as a, quote, healthier alternative. Are there any other illnesses or diseases that can affect the heart? I know you mentioned diabetes earlier. Diabetes and high blood pressure are big ones. There are other diseases, you know, the connective tissue diseases, as we call them, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, this large inflammatory group of diseases can be difficult for the heart for a couple of reasons. Number one, they can um, cause high blood pressure in the lungs, which is a, a concept with which most aren't familiar, but that can be very difficult. And if they, there's high blood pressure in the lungs, essentially that's more resistance that the right side of the heart has to push against. And it can lead to specific failure of the right side of the heart, which can be very difficult to deal with. Also, the inflammation involved in those sorts of diseases can lead to this coronary artery disease. We used to think it was more of a passive deposition of cholesterol and other things in the arteries. It turns out that inflammation is an essential process in both the formation of the plaques, but maybe most importantly, in the rupture of those plaques and the causing of the heart attacks themselves. What are two things we can do right now to get on the road to a healthy heart? This is not new information, but exercise certainly makes a difference. Not so much because it trains the heart or eliminates blockages. It simply maintains everything where it's supposed to be. Exercise is associated with lower body fat, sometimes higher lean body weight, which can actually help metabolism. It smooths out blood pressure. It decreases inflammation. It tends to lead to healthier eating habits as well, because if you will, your your body focuses more on what it needs if more is being demanded of it. We used to think, uh, and there are tremendous mental health benefits of exercise as well. There are Tremendous benefits in terms of independence, confidence, balance, all those all of those things as individuals get older as well. Doesn't have to be high impact exercise. Many individuals' joints, especially if they haven't exercised for a lot of their life, a lot of joints, particularly lower body joints, can't take high impact exercise, but it doesn't have to be that. We used to think that it was basically or predominantly aerobic and endurance exercise, which provided the benefits. It turns out resistance exercise is at least as beneficial. The levels to shoot for, a, a good level for beginners and intermediates, if you will, is 150 minutes a week. Whether that's five 30-minute sessions or three 50-minute sessions or 10 or 15-minute snippets by walking around the office or up and down the stairs, that all counts. 
So that all all uh, all matters. I'd say that's step number one. Number two, this may be this may be not as holistic, but if you have visited a physician, a healthcare provider, I should say, and you have been identified with risk in terms of high blood pressure or cholesterol values, which at one point may not have been thought to be excessively high, but if the doctor has prescribed a medication such as a statin, by all means take it. Statins are proven to lower heart attack risk by 40 to 50 percent and stroke risk by almost as much. So if your healthcare provider has determined the need for such meds, it is really ill-advised not to take them. Along the line of exercise, I have to ask this. A couple of prominent TV shows have recently had a couple of their characters have heart attacks, fatal heart attacks, right after exercising. Should we be worried (laughs) about starting a fitness routine? Well, you should certainly be worried about your Peloton stock. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness, obviously, those are very dramatic moments, and... um, I think the shows were Sex in the City and Billions. Not that I'm a regular watcher of either one. Although Billions is pretty good. Anyway, here's what I'd say about that. Uh, Exercise generally confers much more benefit than harm and risk. Uh, Start gradually if you're just starting a program. Maintain some level of background conditioning before doing anything that really is excessively demanding. I would also say that often there are other reasons people die with exercise. The the biggest risk with exercise has been identified with really severe exercise, like ultra-marathoning, for instance. There is some risk even in marathoning, but it's minimal. Ultra-marathoning, where the body is regularly attempted to be pushed back past its limits, maybe not surprisingly, does appear to confer significant risk. There are, there are also ways that we can protect ourselves. If you're on medications such as statins and beta blockers, those are specifically protective against events during exercise. I will say this, though. If there's, a, there's one exercise which may be a little bit relevant during the winter, not so much in these parts but in other areas, shoveling snow appears to be particularly hazardous for several reasons. Number one... Um, It's often done in the wee hours of the morning when our body's intrinsic adrenaline-like hormones are at their highest rate. And that's actually the most dangerous period in terms of heart health to exercise aggressively. Number two, it's generally done in the cold. So sometimes our arteries have higher tone or spasm, and that can leave a little less margin for error in terms of heart health. And number three, it's a real demand because it's both a big resistance exercise if you're picking up and throwing heavy snow, and it's a very demanding aerobic one as well. So be careful if you're not conditioned, you're not in much shape. Be careful shoveling snow, especially picking up and throwing it. Snow blowers, not so much a risk, but old-fashioned snow shovel, proceed with caution. Well, again, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts 
so you won't miss our next episode. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susana Cisneros, and me, Melissa Whitfield.